Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back, folks. We are joined by Tan Trunk, WWL multimedia journalist. He has released another podcast. Very well done. Tan, welcome to the show. Newell, thank you. And happy almost Mardi Gras. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Tan, uh, the crew of Endymion will hold its first parade since the death of its founder, Ed Munez. It's a special event this year, and you were able to sit down with a number of folks, both inside the organization and outside, uh, making observations about this. Tell us about it. Well, you know, when when you talk about the, the large parades, and this is the big weekend right before Mardi Gras, this is really the, the prime time for carnival and mardi gras season and although there's a lot of excitement here as you mentioned in the intro this is the first year this will be the first time that endymion will parade without the earthly presence of ed munis who was the founding captain of the crew of endymion and this was well before the crew was known as a super crew and it started in 1967 in very humble beginnings renting floats uh, from uh, carrollton and it was a neighborhood parade but as we know it today this is a huge crew, arguably one of the biggest crew and arguably one of the biggest parades of, of the season. And I thought this was a moment for the crew itself because since Ed Muniz was such a transformative figure, not just for the crew of Endymion, but just for the Mardi Gras scene, I thought it was worth a, a look at what his legacy is and what it means for the crew of Endymion this year. No, absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I had an opportunity to interview Dan Kelly, and, and I know that you interviewed him as well for the uh, for your mm-hmm. podcast about um, so many different new technologies, new things, always trying to make uh, the the parade better in, in so many different ways. And and I asked him how hard was that, and and um, and I know in your piece as well, they they talk about the which the day after Ed was already thinking about what new was going to happen in the following year. And it was, and it was kind of interesting because it was almost like he didn't let anyone really take a breath. (laughs) It was like, we, we got to start for the next show. You know, he, he was a showman and he, he was somebody that always liked to promote the parade. And, you know, in in terms of football, I I think that if you want to make a metaphor or a comparison, he's sort of like the Bill Belichick of, of Mardi Gras, you know, as soon as they win the Super Bowl, he's thinking about the next season and what are we going to do for the off season? How do we improve? How do we get better? 
And, you know, not to minimize what the season's about, but that was who Ed Muniz was when he was thinking about how do I improve on something that was already a great product, already a great parade. And, you know, the podcast focuses on these personal relationships on between Dan Kelly, uh, also, you know, his son-in-law as well, who's also a member of the Kruvendimian board. And, uh, you know, I can't really do anything when it comes to Mardi Gras and history without Arthur Hardy. And Arthur Hardy had some really great moments and stories about what Ed Muniz meant, again, not just to the crew of Demian, but really to the overall carnival scene and to the city of New Orleans, because I think that when Endymion rolls this year, I think his presence will certainly be remembered. I don't want to say, you know, it's going to be a somber mood, but I think that because of the respect that Ed Muniz commanded and had among so many people throughout the city and also in Jefferson Parish as well, uh, it's hard not to think about Ed Muniz when, when Endymion rolls this year. Yeah, I would agree. I don't think it's going to be somber at all. I think it's going to be the no. celebration of his life, mm-hmm. the celebration of of this crew. I mean, 32, I think it's 32 or 3,400 riders this year, if my memory serves yeah. me correct. I mean, when you, when he, when uh, Dan Kelly's talking about 37 floats, but that's really 81 units. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's just absolutely incredible. And then you look to the talent that they're going to have this year uh, at the extravaganza. Um, Sting, I mean, iconic, right? And Flo Rider yeah. and other local bands that are playing. I think it's going to be the show of, uh, of a lot of shows. I mean, it, and, and, and Dimian's always been able to put their best foot forward. But I, there's a couple of little nuances that, they have they haven't really revealed yet, have they? And y'all, you talk about that in the podcast. Yeah, and and I and obviously I think it's it's up to Dan Kelly to reveal that, and you know because yeah. it is their crew and and it is their relationship with Ed Muniz. Dan did give me a preview of what they're going to unveil, and I think it's going to be great. I think it's very heartfelt, um, and I think it's a great way to honor uh, the history not only of Endymion but really the history that ties into. Ed Muniz. And when you mentioned Sting and the extravaganza, you know, I always found it fascinating because I'm, I'm not a member of a crew, but I always find it fascinating just the behind the scenes, what it takes to put on a production uh, like the extravaganza. And, you know, in the podcast, I, I give a little bit of, you know, backstory of how these things come together. And, you know, you talk about a family guy in Ed Muniz, that's who he was. And he often turned uh, to his children, Jim Hanzo, who is his son-in-law, and he's also the board member of the crew of Endymion, so that he often would just come over to the house and ask some of the grandkids, like, who do you think I should have headlining for the extravaganza? And then Jim said that, you know, he'd end up, uh, Ed Muniz would end up on YouTube for hours looking at these acts that were suggested by his younger, uh, obviously, grandchildren. Uh, and then all of a sudden, there you have it, you know, next year's headliner is going to be announced. And I always found it fascinating. I told Jim, I said, you know, that's pretty wild that you can just be just putzing around at home, uh, you know, with, with Ed Muniz. And all of a sudden it's like, well, you know, I think we're going to get Sting or I think we're going to get Flo Rider or, or Aerosmith or whatever it may be. And, you know, I, I think that's just for me, I, I love the behind the scenes and the backstories of how things come together. And when it involves Ed Muniz, there's always an interesting story for sure. No doubt. And Jim Hanzo, um, I don't know, you know, 
I know you know this. He used to be part of our WWL radio mm-hmm. news staff. Uh, quality guy, quality man. Yeah. Uh, and and just it's so loyal to the organization as well. And now taking on new roles, you know, being on the board and and, and stuff, and uh, which which is really great to hear. Um, when I talked to Dan uh, as well, uh, Ton, I, he's going to ride a horse this year. Uh, they used to have float l- the the lieutenants of the organization on horseback, and they kind of uh, abandoned that for a while. And this year, they're bringing it back, and Dan Kelly's going to be uh, leading the way on on horseback. Yeah, I think it's going to be quite a quite a spectacle, and and in, in all the positive ways, because um, you know he told me a story about how the the Endymion, the, the crew of Endymion, was named. It was named after a horse that. Um, that Ed Muniz had uh, favored in, in a race, and uh, it's all going to tie together. And what, what I believe, uh, you know, they're going to present is really uh, a show that Ed Muniz would be proud of. And lo and behold, they're going to be rolling on Saturday, February 10th, which is going to be the birthday of Ed Muniz. And I think that's a serendipitous that it just happens, and it's almost providence that you're going to have the first parade without Ed Muniz, but it's rolling on his birthday, and what an appropriate way. Um, and I think that when Dan Kelly unveils their surprise, I think people will be very, very moved by it. Um, and really, you know, it's it's a good moment to raise a glass or raise a, a bottle up to that and, and give Ed Muniz a toast when you see it. There are those of us that believe that uh, how in the heck was uh, Ed able to to pull this off, having the, you know, the first <laughs> parade after his passing on his birthday? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, I you know, for one, believe that he has some influence somewhere to make that happen. <laughs> well, everybody, everybody that I talk to is, is hoping for for good weather. I, I know that Ed Muniz was, was a very uh, influential man. I don't know if he has that great of influence when it comes to the weather, <laughs> but so far, I mean, it looks like Sunday is going to be the really rainy day. There might be some rain on Saturday, but if it holds out, then you know who to thank. No, absolutely. In fact. You know, I, over the years, I've had the opportunity of uh, not only interacting with Ed, but so many people within the Endymion organization. And I, I was teasing Dan Kelly, a member of uh, my coffee group in the morning, is one, you know, it works really hard in the crew of Endymion. And I said, I, I really want you to have Warren, Warren's his name. I, I said, I want you to have Warren as your tender and a shovel. Uh, shoveling up, you know what, behind your <laughs> behind your horse, and we just we just had a lot of uh, a lot of fun um, with that, and we have another member of our, our our coffee club who's actually on the board uh, of of the organization, and and we talk about a lot about how you pull all of this together, and it's amazing when you think about the investment and how it is really a 365 24/7 organization to get all of this to work. Yeah. Um, you know, and and they were just talking about some of the supply chain issues the other day with the mm-hmm. backup at the Panama Canal at some cruise beads are not getting here in time. Um, yeah. you know, and ev- yeah. and everybody's trying to help everybody else uh, deal with it. I mean, it it it's uh, quite the deal, but you know, the, and the other thing, too, and you talked about it, um, um, was the uniqueness um, of the history of, of the crew of Endymion that started in 1967. It's got its own route, 
you know, they've had to deviate a couple of times. This year they're deviating again because they're going to the convention center, not the dome. But next year they go back to the right. dome. Oh, yeah. Dome sweet dome. And, and that was something that, you know, again, uh, they as they were kind of progressing and growing exponentially, it, it went They moved from the river gate. And then, you know, as the crew grew so much, they, they had to find a new home and it eventually became the Superdome. Um, but, you know, as you were mentioning, all of the things you have to kind of coordinate to pull this thing off, you know, it's such a grand parade and such a grand organization. Um, but, you know, in speaking with Arthur Hardy, you'd think that somebody, the ringmaster, as they used to call Ed Munez, you know, the ringmaster of all this, uh, it, it could go to his head. Um, but Arthur Hardy said that he was tasked to, to kind of write their history for, I think it was their 25th anniversary in the 1990s. And when he was assigned to do that, he sat down and started interviewing Ed Munez. He's, and when he started, he said, look, I'm going to need your archivist. I'm going to need all of the, the historical documents because I'm going to do this. I'm going to want to do this right. And he said, well, where can I find all these, uh, you know, all this material for the crew of Endymion? And Ed Munez, according to Arthur Hardy, told him, he's like, we didn't keep that crap. <laughs> you know, and he, he, used, he used some more flavorful language. <laughs> But he said, I don't have any of this. Like, and, and, you know, to, to kind of paraphrase it, he, what, he, he, what he said Ed Muniz told him was, you know, we didn't know what we were doing had historical value. You know, we were just right. doing it. We were just a bunch of guys having fun. And I think that kind of encapsulates the personality of Ed Muniz. Sure, he was a politician. He was an influential guy in radio. And he was, you know, the captain, of, the founding member, uh, founding captain of a huge crew. But, you know, he, I think he just did it for the love of it. Um, he really thoroughly enjoyed what he did uh, in entertaining people. And, you know, we're reaping the benefits still, even though he's not here with us. I think Arthur Hardy in your podcast summed it up. He said that uh, Ed was it, with that. It was not really about the parade, but it was about the people, you know, which is yeah. why probably they didn't they didn't have the archives. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I think when in the in the grand scheme of it, um, you know, I think what Arthur said is very true. You know, the, the parades are, are great, um, but I think it's the, the convening of all these people, whether you're in town, from out of town, uh, different parts of different parishes, um, you're all coming for, for that one show. And what a show. And I think that when, when you take a step back and I asked Arthur Hardy, if you sort of had a Mount Rushmore of, of Mardi Gras, you know, would you have? Ed Moon is on it, and he said, absolutely. He said it would not be a stretch to say that he was one of the most influential people in what we know as modern Mardi Gras. Oh, absolutely. I, don't want, I want to pivot real quick back to your king cake mm-hmm. sojourn. I, oh, I've boy. heard that you've been eating away uh, multiple different brands. Have you resigned yourself to a favorite or a list of favorites yet? Okay, my favorites. Uh, and you know, again, I know uh, the pressure's and, and truth, on. The pressure's on, yeah. Tom. <laughs> truth be told, truth be told, I was I was at I was in New Orleans early this morning because I'm I'm actually I'm trying to get some king cakes for for my family. Um, I have to go with Dong Fung. That that is my number one. But again, this is all subjective, so you know, don't don't throw right. any stones yet. Um, I, man, I had one the other day. Two. Was very good. Was very good. Yeah, uh, I had uh, truly enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, Manny Randazzo's uh, is number two for me. Uh, I, I love their their king cake, and I, I really just love when you go to their store in Metairie. It, it's just 
it's very just utilitarian. It's like, here's what we got. This is what you want. And you go in there and you're in and out. Um, but you have to wait in line, obviously. Um, I love their king cakes. And number three, I'd have to say there, there's a tie um, that comes in right now. Um, Matt, Matthew Haynes recommended this uh, tartine cake. Uh, I tried mm-hmm. it. It's delicious. Um, and I do love me a, a bit of Antoine's um, Bavarian cream. They have a delicious Bavarian cream uh, that I tried, and it is delicious. But again, this is just Tom's world, you know, and I'm living in it. Nobody else is, and, yeah. and that's what I enjoy. <laughs> well, that's the beauty of it. It can be all about you when yeah. it comes to the king cake, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I found a new one this year that's my favorite. Oh. Uh, I have all of those in my top five, uh, Manny Randazzo, Dong, Dong Fung, and I also have Joe's in there as well. But, in fact, I went this morning, 7 a.m., to make sure that they were not going to run out, that I would get uh, King Cakes because <laughs> we're going we're gonna to spend um, the weekend down in, in the warehouse district and, and – and get out on the street. And I started last night, actually. Uh, and unfortunately, I started as a sprint. But mine is, it's <laughs> it's kind of a uh, upscale, it's McKenzie on steroid type of king cake, and it's Nolita. Mm. It's on Orleans Avenue. Uh, if you pass American Can, going back into the city, it's about three blocks down right. on your left-hand side, a, a, a light blue uh, house right there on the corner beautiful bakery they got a lot of wonderful pastries in there but that this year has been my new favorite nolita try it out from from what i understand they're fairly new to, to the king cake scene and i believe yes um the, the author who uh, featured in last week's or a couple weeks podcast uh ago actually put a story um that, that i believe that baker has quite a story too uh, and he, yes. he also said he also said great things about Nolita. So apparently great minds think alike there, Newell. Absolutely. I <laughs> at least taste buds are thinking alike. Yeah. For, for sure. But that's been that's been the surpriser for me. But uh, it's been a lot of fun, actually, you know, as a result of your podcast, really thinking, you know, a lot of times you just kind of take these little nuances and things about Mardi Gras, uh, you know, uh, and uh, and you, you don't really think much about it. You take it for granted, and and it's not until yeah, you know some something kind of slaps you in the face and say, "Hey, wake up! They're new entrants here. It's they're new things. You know, go 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 figure it out. Go try it." Yeah, you know, and and I gotta say, it's, it, you know, you know, when, when you say you know we we could be taking it for granted sometimes, and you know, I, I think there's something to that. I mean, we're we're fairly spoiled when it comes to all these things that we have access to. You know, everybody else, I mean, oh, yeah. nobody, I, I would venture somebody in Ohio today didn't wake up and check out a bakery to see if there's going to be king cakes left, you know, and I'll tell yeah. you that the line in New Orleans <laughs> East was full today. And I had a great conversation with a guy from, uh, from Mississippi. He drew, he drew in from the Biloxi area and we talked it up. Um, and, you know, going back to what Arthur Hardy was saying, and that's part of Mardi Gras, you know, it's not just what you see on the street, but it's really the atmosphere, the, the, the interaction and the, the experiences you have. And, you know, I got to say, there was, you know, it was me and this white guy um, at a Vietnamese bakery talking about king cakes. And, you know, where else you can have that happen? But but here. And I think that's just a, it's a great thing. And it's a, it's a great time for us to celebrate and, you know, and really take stock in what we have here. No, absolutely. Uh, Todd, I probably won't have the opportunity to talk to you before the end of the Mardi Gras season. Please have a, a great weekend this weekend and a safe weekend, you and your family. And, um and and have a great time. 
Yeah, and remember, it's a marathon. You said you started out on a sprint, so pace yourself, yeah. Noel. <laughs> right, uh, and where can we get the podcast? Uh, they can check out the podcast and all the previous episodes, including the King Cake episode. Uh, wherever they get their podcast, just search for The Ton Report. That's T-H-A-N-H Report. They can find it anywhere they get their podcast and any platforms. And, Ton, you know, my new life coach, Coleman, on the board over there said, if you start out with the sprint, my friend, you just got to keep it as a sprint. There's no flipping back to the marathon <laughs> approach. Well, like said, well, just well, keep sprinting. You are, yeah, fortunately, you are, a, you are a physical specimen. I have all the faith in you, Newell. <laughs> We'll see. I don't know. <laughs> it's getting harder about a minute. Tantron, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, another great job. Really appreciate it. Happy Mardi Gras, Newell. Same to you. We'll be right back, folks. Stay with us. Hey, everyone. Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us, and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. So, folks, uh, during the news break when we uh, were providing a news coverage on an issue uh, that Governor Landry was talking about of sending National Guard troops to the border, started getting a number of texts, a lot of folks saying no, some saying yes. Love to hear from you where you fall out on this issue. 504-260-1870 on the Oakland Heart Jewelers talking. Text line. We've got some time to go to the talk lines and would love to hear what you're thinking about that issue. The governor points out that this has been a mess down at the border um, and that there are a number of states. Uh, in fact, the previous uh, governor, John Bell Edwards, had sent um, guardsmen down to the to the border as well and, and also uh, talks about the fentanyl challenge uh, that we're having uh, down there uh, preliminarily. Uh, the president of the Senate, Cameron Henry, said this could cost as much as $3 million. I'm not exactly sure how many uh, guardsmen are going down there. They've not revealed that. They've also not revealed the scope of the mission, the duration, uh, what will be the role that they will play. Uh, those are things yet to be determined, I guess. And I know that they are determined by the governor of the state of Texas as to what their role would be. But give us a shout, 504-260-1870 on the Oakland Heart Jewelers Talk and text line and let us know what you, you're thinking. Um, and also, uh, if you love the Scoot Show, today's Scoot is going to be out there on the Best Bank and Harvey when he broadcasts live from Logo Express. Come out and say hi. Get amazing deals on Mardi Gras gear, T-shirts, hoodies, rugby polos, dresses, sequin tops, and much more. I know Roger out there, the proprietor of Logo Express, used to do business with him with the sheriff's office, did a lot of work for us. They do incredible work. They do incredible stitching work. So go out there, check it out, uh, pick something out, let the good times roll with Scoot on air this afternoon, 1 to 4 at Logo Express, 658 Lesson Court in Harvey on WWL. Easy to get there, uh, just um, right off of Manhattan Boulevard there. So it's an uh, easy place to, to visit. And go out there and see Scoot. 
I wanted to talk about something while if anyone's willing to call in to say how they feel about the uh, deployment of the Louisiana National Guard to the border. Came across an, an article the other day, and we've talked about this on this show, how a number of pri predominantly private universities abandoned the SAT and the ACT. This was part of this diversity, equity, inclusion mantra uh, that was out there where, you know, they thought that the, these tests were discriminating in, in some nature. Well, Dartmouth announced the other morning that it would again require applicants to submit standardized test scores starting in next year. And this is kind of a, a, a major development because most of the other select colleges had decided and abandoned this. Some are reconsidering. Some have reconsidered, like MIT and others um, have reconsidered uh, doing so. So Dartmouth announced why they did this. And um, last summer, a uh, cognitive scientist who had previously run Barnard College in New York became the president of Dartmouth, Sian Belloc. And after arriving, she decided that maybe we'll have our professors do an internal study on standardized tests. And Dartmouth had dropped its requirement that applicants submit an SAT or ACT score. And, uh, you know, and she's kind of thinking, uh, and she says, quote, our business is looking at data and research and understanding the implications it has. So why would we have not done this here? So three Dartmouth economists and a sociologist then dug into the numbers. And they reached a, a number of different conclusions, but two primary conclusions right off the bat. One of their main findings according to them, said it did not surprise them. Test scores were a better predictor than high school grades or student essays or teacher recommendations on how well students would fare at Dartmouth. And they said that the evidence of this relationship is large and it's growing. The second finding was really interesting. And I think, and they say as well, very surprising to them. During the pandemic when Dartmouth switched, in which applicants could choose whether to submit their SAT and ACT scores or not, that this policy was actually harming lower income applicants in a specific way. The researchers were able to analyze all of the test scores, even of students who had not submitted them to Dartmouth because colleges can see the scores after the admissions process is finished. And what they found is that many lower income students, it turned out, had made a huge strategic mistake. They withheld their test scores that actually would have been a differentiator for them, and instead of being rejected, they'd have probably got into Dartmouth. They wrongly believed that their scores were too low, when in truth, the admissions office would have judged the scores to be a sign that the students had overcome a difficult environment 
and could thrive at Dartmouth. In fact, what they found was hundreds of applicants with scores in the 1400 range, SAT, the highest you can get is a 1600, with all things considered in their application, had they submitted those scores, they probably would have got in. And they would have been accepted. Because it would have provided a different avenue of where they are. Because a lot of times the grades at schools and some of the students were coming out of underperforming schools did not reveal enough about the applicant. So it was really interesting, and it's going to be interesting to see whether or not um, things are going to go back. Now, in their study, there are a number of common criticisms of standard te standardized tests, and they wanted to answer those. So one question was is that many critics on the political left argue that the tests are racially or economically biased. But Balak, the president of, the of Dartmouth, said the evidence doesn't support those claims. They said the research actually suggests that the tool is help helpful in finding students that they might otherwise miss. A second question that's commonly asked is conservative critics of affirmative action might use test scores to accuse Dartmouth of violating the Supreme Court ruling barring race-conscious admissions. She said that's not true. It does not. Because Dartmouth can legally admit a diverse class while using test scores as one part of its holistic admissions process. And she said that's why other colleges have reinstated the test requirement, including Georgetown and MIT. Baylock was asked and her colleagues whether fewer students might now apply to Dartmouth. And the admissions dean there said that such an outcome actually might be okay. They had 31,000 applications at Dartmouth for 1,200 first-year slots. And as the admissions director said, I don't think volume is the holy grail. And Baylock, uh, the, the president, was finally asked whether she was satisfied with the economic diversity that may be represented at her college. And she said, no, there's always aspirations to bring it up, but reinstating the test requirement, she believes, can help Dartmouth do so. It's interesting how you have these kind of urban myths about certain things. Everybody rushed to judgment during the pandemic. Everybody was running under the auspices of this DEI environment that this was bad, 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 bad. And now they're starting to reflect and look within. And in almost every case, the data was revealing what we already had come to know for a long time, that the tests were still the best indicator of success. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Welcome back, folks. Let's go to the talk lines. Luke, you're up. Welcome to the show. Hey, no, no. The operative, the operative, the operative word is balance. 
mm-hmm. achieve balance, we got it made. Balance is the ideal. So balance in what respect? And, and are you talking about, I thought you were calling about whether or not the Louisiana National Guard ought to be deployed to the border. Well, you, oh, you doggone right, dog. I mean, uh, take, you know, give and take. I don't know what maintain home, uh, human body homeostasis. When you ought to balance, you ought to whack. So I don't know what the answer you ought to know. I don't. When I find out, I'll let you know. Huh. Okay. Balance All right. Well, give us the operative word. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Period. Give us a call back when you've achieved balance and you figured out whether or not the Louisiana National Guard are to be deployed to the border. It was just a simple question, folks. Uh, it's not any judgment. It's just kind of curious as to uh, how people feel uh, about that. And uh, as uh, a lot of texts coming in on that issue. What folks are saying is, is that just a short period of time ago, the governor was asking department heads to cut their budgets because there was going to be a functional uh, problem with the budget, and um, you know that obviously that expenditures were going to be greater than revenue. And what they're saying is, is that. If the choice is deploying the guard or maintaining the level of service that we have within those relative departments, don't deploy the guard. And I just think the timing is not right. If if you're not able to meet the needs of the citizens of the state of Louisiana, why would the 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 situation of deploying the guard at this point in time so important? Legitimate observation. We'll be right back. We'll check in with Scoot to see what he has coming your way. Stay with us. I expect that Scoot's going to be the best-dressed individual when we broadcast (laughs) together on Mardi Gras because he's out at Logo Express today again. You know, I will have something from Logo Express. I'll be wearing a couple of things from from Logo Express, but I promise you, Newell, out of respect for you and out of respect for myself, I won't be wearing any dresses or skirts. I hope there that doesn't go. disappoint you, but no dresses or skirts. But, yeah, we're, look, we're uh, going to have a lot of fun Mardi Gras Day. I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. What do we have coming up? Oh, well, coming up, we'll, uh, we'll talk about a few things here and there. We'll talk about the parades rolling tonight. It, look, this is, uh, again, nonstop, uh, nonstop parading. All righty. Thank you, Coleman. Hey, everyone. Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us, and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. 